Father in heaven, as we come before you, as we bow in your holy presence, as we take off our sandals, as it were, because of our recognition of the fact that we are standing, sitting on holy ground. We ask, O God, that you would prepare our hearts, as you've been doing all week, and our minds, to receive your word. Give us all clarity of thought. As we, in a way, dear God, empty our cups, waiting to allow you to fill it so that we could spill out on someone, on anyone, the reality of what you're doing in our lives. Oh God, hear our hearts cry this morning as we dig into your word. Bless it now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Usually people tend to shy away from Revelations. I certainly do. But every time I read Revelations chapter 4, there is this sense of awe. This sense of an indescribable feeling towards God. As a matter of fact, every time I read Revelations chapter 4, it's, it, it, it causes me to want to be as Paul described, absent from the body and present with him. Another songwriter says that we can only imagine what it would be like to be in God's presence. And certainly we can't wait, can we? As a matter of fact, that's what we hope for. The songs this morning certainly reveal part of our heart's cry, which is to be in God's holy presence. We truly don't know what we're going to do, will we? But just to be in His presence and understand what it means to be holy as God is holy. I can't wait. I can't wait. But in light of our anticipation of what is to come, How now, how then should you and I as believers in Christ live? A few more questions that I'd like to pester you with. When it comes to identifying the church and her holiness, how difficult has it become in our culture today to not be able to see clearly what and who the church is. A pastor asked me several years ago, he said, Patrick, if someone accused you of being a Christian, I got excited. Yeah, let him accuse me. He says, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I had to back up. This whole idea of holiness, what is it? Where do you get it from? What do you do with it when you get it? How is it displayed? Should it be something that I ponder here in my heart? 
and hide it like one would a treasure? Or is this something to be shared? Romans 15 says these words. It says these words, verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might actually have hope. So my suggestion this morning is that we consider Scripture and let's see if we can find hope. The one that would encourage us, uh, would encourage us to live holy lives. Do you know that the word holy or holiness is mentioned over 900 times in Scripture? Do you think maybe God's trying to tell us something? I know if my mom told me to do something 900 times, she must be serious. She must be serious. Go with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And for those of you who may not be as skilled in finding uh, Bible passages, go right to the beginning of your book. The first book is Genesis. Second one is Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Listen to this. It says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock. As a matter of fact, let's start, just start with verse 1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, Moses, for the place on which you are standing is what? Holy ground. And listen to what God says to Moses. He said to him also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then, then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God says he is holy and will be treated as holy. Did he not? As a matter of fact, later on, as you read through the Torah, God in His holiness says of His priests, He says to Moses, He says, Moses, I want to be with my people. I want to tabernacle. I want to habitate with my people. And I want you to do something for me. I want you, I'm going to show you a pattern. I'm going to give you a glimpse of heaven. And I want you to follow the instructions just as I give it. And Moses erects a tabernacle. God told him to build it so long and so wide. As a matter of fact, God told him exactly what to put inside this tabernacle. All the furniture, all the furnishings, and all this sort of stuff. 
God says to Moses, He says, Now I want you to ordain people who will serve me of the tribe of Levi. I'm cutting it short because I'm trying to get to the good part, the fun part. And listen to, to some of the things God says of His priests. For example, in Exodus chapter 33. Oh, it's beautiful to hear those pages turn. Exodus 33, verse 15 and 16. Listen to what God says. And then God said to him, sorry, then Moses said to him, If your presence, God, does not go up with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not by your going with us so that we and I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Here's Moses coming to the realization, God, it's your presence. It's your presence with us that makes us, that causes us to be holy. Isn't that cool? To, to know that... Oh. Hold that thought. God had called a group of people out. And He says to this group of people, You're my people, and you're going to serve me. The context of this conversation that Moses is having with God is, God's kind of upset with this people, kind of obstinate, like us. And Moses is pleading with God, he says, God, wait a minute! <laughs> We live, we exist just because of your presence. If you go, what are we supposed to do? Where do we go? As a matter of fact, God, we look just like the rest. And Moses says, listen to what he says again. This is just too cool. He says, he says, if your presence does not go with us, don't even lead us from here. Verse 16, he says, for how then would it be known? Known to who? All the pagans around, all the ites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all of those ites around there watching. And Moses is saying, God, if you don't go with us, Chibu, we just stay right here. Can I use that phrase, Chibu? It's allowed. Leviticus 21. Turn real quick. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, next book. Leviticus 21. Now, God establishes a priestly order. And in Leviticus 21 verse 6, listen to uh, what God says. God says, they shall be holy. He's talking about the priests. They shall be holy to their God and not do what? And not profane, not make unholy. They shall not disdain their God, for they present the offerings by fire to the Lord, the food of their God, so they shall be holy. Holy, 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 holy. What does holy mean? Anybody want to take a guess? Pastor Lee's not here, so we can talk in church this morning. What does holy mean? Set apart. Yeah. They, you, they shall be set apart, separated, different. Does that work for, for any of you? So these, so the priests now are going to be holy. They're going to be set apart. They're just going to look different. 
Any priests in here today? Let's move on. Let's move on. Deuteronomy 33. So you, we passed Genesis, you pass Exodus. We just finished Leviticus. Go over to Deuteronomy. Well, next book is Numbers. Then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 33, verse 10. God is speaking, and He says, and He gives us a little bit more insight on what the priests should be doing. These holy ones, these ones who have been set apart, separated for God's pleasure, for God's work. Verse 10 says, They shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your law to Israel. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. God had laid out prerequisites for man to come into his holy presence. And in the tabernacle, the priests, there was a certain way they had to come into the tabernacle. They couldn't come in there. Again, here's another Bahamian expression. They couldn't come in there any old kind of how. First of all, only priests were allowed in the tabernacle. But before they came into the tabernacle, they had to be cleansed, made pure. Because here was unholy man going into the presence of a holy God. I don't know about you, but that kind of scares me. Remember Moses? Moses sees this burning bush, and Moses says, Wow, burning bush. And it ain't burning. A burning bush, but it ain't burning. Anyway, you'll figure it out. In his curiosity, he says, I got to check this out. And he goes close. And God has to stop Moses. God says, Moses, Moses, stop. <laughs> Take your sandals off. Because you're standing right now on holy ground. Here's God getting ready to choose this man to take his children, Israel, out of Egypt. And God almost has to kill him because why? He didn't know. God had to tell him. When God reveals himself to Moses, what does Moses do? Got down. He worshipped. So understand the role of the priest was just something incredible. But I want you to, I want you to see something. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. Now Ezekiel is kind of funny. Uh, go to the middle of your book and start turning to the right. Um, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. There's been a long history of priests serving in the tabernacle, serving in the temple. But listen to God's concern now in Ezekiel 22. Listen to what he says. Ezekiel 22 verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my law. Uh oh. And have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. They have not taught the difference between 
the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. Does this sound like a pretty verse? No, no, no. God's getting ready to take Israel and her priests to the woodshed. And it's not to collect wood. God's about ready to spank Israel because of what the priests were doing. He says, God says, that they have profaned my name. They have made dirty my name. They have scandalized. They have made me not holy by their behavior, by their actions. Some of you kind of looking at me kind of cross-eyed and saying, well, what does that have to do with me? We're getting there. Can I show you a passage in Leviticus of how serious God is when He says that I am holy and I am to be treated as holy? Can I? Turn to Leviticus chapter 10. Go back. We're going to crisscross, traverse the globe here. Leviticus chapter 10. Next Sunday or whenever Pastor Lee gets back and he preaches, y'all can give him a big rounding rouse of applause because Pastor Lee always puts his scriptures up on the <laughs> up on the thing. You're going to have to work this one. Leviticus chapter 10. Check this event out. Remember I told you about the priests? Well, the first chief priest was named Aaron. It was actually Moses' big brother. Aaron is ordained now the chief priest, the high priest in the tabernacle. Aaron's got four sons. Two of them are named Nadab, and the other one's name is Abihu. Chapter 10 picks up the story. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it the it being their firepans, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Verse 2, And fire came from the presence of the Lord, and consumed Nadab and Abihu, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated, how? As holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Moses called also Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle Zuziel, and said to them, Come forward, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. So they came forward and carried them still in their tunics to the outside of the camp, as Moses had said. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons Eleazar and to Ithamar, do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, so that you will not die, and that he, that's God, will not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, or you will die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did according to the word of Moses. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you or your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generation. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane 
and between the clean, unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Here's what God did. Or here's what happened. Nadab, Abihu, sons of the high priests, decide that they're going to go in the presence of God. How? Any old kind of how. As a matter of fact, if you read the text accurately, they had no business at that particular time to even be in the tent of meeting. As a matter of fact, the fire pans that they're talking about, there was only that one ordinance that was required to go in there with fire pans, and it was on the Day of Atonement. And it was only the high priest who was allowed in that part of the tabernacle with their censer and with that type of fire. So Nadab and Abihu, they go inside the tabernacle. Wrong place, wrong time. And God kills them. God kills them dead, dead. God in His holiness, fire jumps out and consumes these boys. As a matter of fact, the text calls it strange fire. I don't know about you, but that scene bothers me. As a matter of fact, God in His justness says to Aaron, the father of these boys, no, you can't even go out and mourn their death. You need to stay right here and continue to do what I've asked you to do. The two living brothers who remain, they can't go and mourn for their brothers. No, God says, no, you stay here. My anointing oil is still on you. There was an ordination process still to be done. And God says, no. Let Israel deal with them. But you stay here. So what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with me, with you? Because that's the Old Testament, right? Them priests and the gloom and doom and the smoke busting out from the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord coming down and all that sort of that. Good job for Charlton Heston, right? But what does that have to do with you and I? Does it have anything to do with you and with me? It might. It could. It should. Anyone remembers what it means to be holy? There's some whispers. Separated. Set apart. Say it with me. Separated. One of our children, uh, Lisa would cook a particular... Uh, meal that one of the children liked and uh, it was interesting to watch their interaction with this particular plate of food because what they would do is they didn't like the food to mix so they would take one portion of the meal and pull it to the north oh boy here we go and they'd take another portion of the meal the rice or whatever it is and pull it all of them, every grain, this way. And then the rest, or the salad, or whatever it was, the meat, or whatever, they push it that way. It was a meal they enjoyed, but the two, they, they couldn't mix. That was a sanctified plate. <laughs> it was separated. <laughs> but you know, that's how we should be. Now there is some caution, and we'll get to that in a minute. Because turn with me to Peter. Go all the way to the New Testament if you want to. Go to Revelation and then start working your way back. First Peter. 
Because we see this event where God is not pleased with Nadab and Abihu's offering of worship. As a matter of fact, God says, that stinks. Look at what Peter says. Peter talking to the saints. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Let's, let's read verse 4. Peter says, And coming to him, that's Christ, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you. You see verse 5? It says you, right? If you, if you could, take an imaginary pencil or eraser and take out the you and put your name. Patrick. You also. Patrick also. Mona Lisa also. Put your name there. Alright? You, 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 you game for this? You also, how? As what? Living stones, you are being built up, how? As a spiritual, what? For what? For a holy priesthood. Why? Or for what reason? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. Just any kind of spiritual sacrifices? No. Acceptable to? Through who? So, just like Nadab and Abihu were required to offer certain sacrifices, which I'm sure they did in times before, and God accepted their worship. I don't know what caused the problem. It seems as if the pastor suggests that these boys were a little bit inebriated. Oh, we don't use that word today. They was drunk. These boys went into the tabernacle of God in a drunken state and offered funny worship to God. And God said, no, 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 no. no." But look at what Peter says. Peter says, you, me, every child of God, every one of us in here who calls ourselves believers in Christ. He says, you as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Guess what? I wonder if I could get everyone in here to say they're a priest. <laughs> because that's what you are. We are priests. Well, sorry lady, you're priestesses. We're priests. And as such we are, there are certain duties, certain responsibilities that we as priests and priestesses have in offering up worship to God. Sometimes we offer good sacrifices. Sometimes we offer sacrifices worthy of being burnt. Look at verse, uh, where am I? Look at verse 9. Just in case you missed it in verse 5, Peter goes on, he says, but you, you who? You, me, right? I'm just butchering the English grammar this morning, aren't I? He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to this. A people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were people, for once, for you once were people, 
where you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. We're going to come back to this passage in a couple of minutes. Priests, unto God, you and I. Holy priests. Priests who have been separated, set apart, sanctified. And usually when you see the word holy, the idea of righteousness, not the idea, the truth of righteousness is associated with it. In other words, you can't be holy and not be righteous. The two go hand in hand. Holiness, we've been made holy. We don't always act holy, do we? Was it just me? I mean, the church got kind of quiet. We don't always do holy things. <laughs> what big event is happening tomorrow? School opening. And as a result of school opening, <laughs> some of y'all are going to be sitting in traffic. I shouldn't say some of y'all, some of us. And there's going to be some interesting soul. We'll just call them that for now. Who's going to make an attempt to make an extra lane and try to cut in front of you. And they're going to look over and kind of look over you like... And you as a priest of God in your holiness... <laughs> Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Tomorrow you're going to tell your children, now listen, last year we missed it. We're going to get up at 6 o'clock. We're going to have breakfast on the table at 6.15. We're going to be in the car at quarter to seven. Men, listen to me. You time-generated men. You men who have clocks and you synchronize it with the atomic association across the pond. Tomorrow morning, you're going to see 8 o'clock coming, nobody got clothes on yet. <laughs> and you as the priest of God. <laughs> Mommy, I can't find my socks. Come on, it's the first day of school. Listen to what Peter says. He says, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's us, that's you, that's me. That's all of us who call ourselves children of the Most High God. And according to Peter, he says that we exist in that fashion, in that function, simply to proclaim the excellencies of God who has taken us out of darkness and brought us into His marvelous light. Let me tell you something, every time somebody sees us, Every time somebody sees you as a priest of God, every time somebody sees me as a priest of God, they should be seeing the excellencies of God being lived out in our lives. Unfortunately, we, we've kind of fallen off. We've kind of profaned, not kinda, we've just kind of outright blatantly profaned the name of God. I heard one preacher the other day saying, jokingly saying, he's so happy he doesn't have one of those uh, sign of the fish things on the back of his car because of the way he drives. This is a serious indictment, isn't it? People see the fish, they say, oh, he's one of them Christians. 
or not. Remember I said in Romans chapter 15 that these things were written as an encouragement for us to persevere so that we might have hope? So how then do I live holy? How then do I love my wife in a holy way? How then do I respond to my children in holiness? How then do I survive the morning grunt and grind of traffic in holiness? How now then do I respond to my staff in an atmosphere of holiness? How then do I <laughs> fill up my customs form in an atmosphere of holiness? <laughs> How do I watch the news in an atmosphere of holiness? How do I uh, try to interpret and, and wade through all the political jargon in an atmosphere of holiness? How do I live in holiness? That's the $50 million question, hey. Someone might be saying, it took you long enough to get to the point. Pretend with me that this is the altar within the tabernacle. Children of Israel required to bring an animal to the doorway of the tent of meeting. The priest would take a look at that animal. He would inspect the animal. Had to be a perfect animal. You couldn't just bring any type of... It had to be one without spot, without blemish. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. And the priest would tell the person bringing the animal, put your hand on the head of the animal, the animal was killed. All the animal was put on the altar and it was set afire. And the Bible says that that animal, the, the smell and the smoke would go up before God as a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, God's anger, His wrath toward that individual, toward the nation of Israel, would be appeased. God would, would hold back what was deserving because of this animal that paid the price. You with me? What if we were still practicing that today? It'd be serious, wouldn't it? I know I'd be keeping a bunch of sheep. But you know, Christ, once for all, stretched out his arms faithfully to his Father, saying, it is finished. No more sacrifice of blood of bulls and goats. But just by believing now, just by believing in the saving work of Jesus Christ, God's wrath would be withheld for all who would believe. It sounds too simple, hey. But the reality of that is, when God looks at me, He really doesn't see me, does He? Who does He see? Or what does He see? He sees the blood. The blood of the perfect sacrifice that was stretched out on the cross for me, for you. So I am holy. He has made me holy. In by position, I am holy. Now there is a responsibility on my part to be holy, to live 
holy, to live in such a way that's set apart, that's separated from the way the world operates. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Romans chapter 12. He says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Do you think Israel got the picture? They knew what it was to put an animal on the altar. And here's what Paul was saying. I'm encouraging you. I'm entreating you. I'm imploring you. I want you to offer yourselves, to present yourselves as a living and holy sacrifice. Like I said to the group this morning, does that mean now we all build some nice fancy altar in our backyards? And every day we jump on, get a burn and peel job, and we go forth in the day? Is that what it means? That could be pretty painful, couldn't it? Here's what Paul's saying. Come to the place where you are totally surrendered to the authority of the Lord God Almighty. That's how and when you and I can be holy. That's when you and I can be separated, set apart, purified, useful for God's pleasure. A couple of weeks back, uh, Mona Lisa and I and the family had the pleasure of traveling to the U.S. And uh, we had to drive from, uh, uh, it was a three-hour drive we were looking at. And uh, we got into the vehicle and we got on the highway. And uh, we got one of those um, GPS gizmos. Boy, those are nice. We stuck that bad boy up there on the windshield and we got on the road. They're now fed and they're happy. What were three loud mouths in the back are now asleep. Mona Lisa, the mother hen in the family, is now happy. The children are fed. They're asleep. She now hunkers down in the front seat. She gets comfortable. And I'm saying to myself, yes. Because she's going off to sleep. I looked at the sign. It said 70 miles per hour. All right. Ten minutes later, Mona Lisa's out. Or at least so I thought. The vehicle we were in found a new gear. And I took off. So I'm now breaking the speed limit. Any police officers in here? Brene Ambrose, where are you? Okay, good, 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 good. I can confess, really. So we get going, and I mean, we're just tearing up the highway. No, it wasn't excessive. But I was breaking the speed limit. Melissa, in the middle of this, wakes up and she says, slow down, big boy. I was caught. I was embarrassed. My feelings were hurt. (laughs) Can any of you men identify what I'm talking about? (laughs) When our wives tell us about something we know we've been doing wrong? And at that point, I had to choose. At that point, I had to choose. Am I going to respond to Mona Lisa in the flesh? Or am I going to respond to her in the spirit? Deep from down within my toes, the flesh started to work. I didn't realize it until it got up to about my knees and something was about to come out of my mouth. And as if out of nowhere, the spirit of God living in me says, Patrick, bow the knee. Patrick, surrender. 
Did I like doing it? No. Did I slow down? Yeah. The reality of this life that we call the Christ life, ladies and gentlemen, is lived out, is one right here on the altar. That's holiness. That's where we win. We win here in God's Word, getting to know Him, having His Spirit speak to my spirit and saying, Patrick, turn this way and I turn that way. Patrick, turn this way and I turn that way and I walk in obedience to Him. Nadab and Abihu got it the wrong way. Nadab and Abihu decided that they were going to do things their own way and paid the price, the ultimate price, their lives. I think sometimes about how we approach church in the corporate sense. How we lead groups. We play in this, we perform in this, we do this thing, and sometimes we do it in a way that's more fleshly than it is spirit-led. Be careful. Because even though God may not consume you the way He did Nadab and Abihu, let me tell you something, God is still God. And He still demands holiness. He still demands that act of surrender every day. Let me tell you, some of you tomorrow morning are going to wake up in the flesh. And tomorrow is going to be the longest day on the planet. Everything's going to seem to go wrong. But let me tell you something. When I'm walking, when I'm living in that atmosphere of holiness, even the things that go wrong seem right. You bust a tire. Before you would kick and scream and Cuss the car out. But in the spirit, in that atmosphere of holiness, you say, now wait a minute God, what are you trying to, why are you slowing me down? What are you protecting me from? You see what I'm saying? In that atmosphere of holiness, we view tragedies, we view disappointments now as agents of God. And God wanting to work out something that only He can do in a surrendered life. I got, no, I don't have three children. God's given Mona Lisa and I three precious gifts. I do my best. Mona Lisa does her best. We do our best to protect those children. I couldn't think of life without any one of them. Well, maybe one or two. No. I couldn't think of life without any of them. But in the context of if God should happen to take one of them sooner than they should or sooner than we think he should, what God does, folks, is well done. But we can only say that in the atmosphere of being surrendered right here on the altar of God. So instead of asking God, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? It's now not my will, God, but your will. Your will be done. What does it mean to be holy? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you didn't expect that answer. Hey, but God will show you. He'll say, this is the way you walk in it. But it takes you coming to that place right here in that act of surrender saying, God has got nothing to do with Patrick. It's all about what you want to do through Patrick for your good pleasure. Can I let you in on a secret? I love Mona Lisa. But you know what? 
in and of myself. I can't love Mona Lisa the way she needs to be loved. But Christ can do it through me. Those children, oh, I can't do it in and of myself. But Christ can do it in me and through me. The knuckleheads that you got to work around. Y'all don't work around knuckleheads? You can deal with them. You can make the tough decisions. You can even joke with them. But in the spirit of surrender. Peter says, God has placed you as holy. He's placed you as a priesthood. So that you would proclaim, shout forth, not verbally, live in it. The excellencies of what he's doing in your life. I'll close with this. Our job, our responsibility as believers, as being part of that royal priesthood, that chosen nation, our responsibilities is to be so filled, is to be so surrendered to the point that when God fills us, that we are able to splash out on someone, anyone, the reality of what God's doing in our lives. The idea is that when people see you, when people see me, they can't help but see God. You want a good definition of holiness? Love what God loves, hate what God hates. Don't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. But when I'm in the flesh, I can't really decipher, can I? I can talk myself into going 85 miles an hour on the highway. I really can. <laughs> but when the Spirit of God is living in you, He can also talk you into going 65 miles an hour, and it's no problem. Holiness. Holiness. That's what we strive for. That's what God wants from us. And when we surrender, it becomes doable. When we surrender, it's no longer do this or don't do this. When we surrender, it's no more the legalistic, well, I went to church, I did this, I did that, I didn't do this, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I didn't commit adultery, yeah, 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 yeah. When you surrender, <laughs> when you surrender, it's God. This is to bring honor and glory to you. How many of you, any, any students in here going to school tomorrow? How many? Raise your hands real quick. I promise I'm going to pray right after this. Come on, raise your hand high. Let me see the students. Everyone who's going to school tomorrow. Homeschool included. Yeah, good, good, good. You know that student last year who got on your nerves? Remember that one? Okay, it was a couple of them, but you remember that particular one? How are you going to proclaim the excellencies of God living in you and through you this school year? How are you going to proclaim the excellencies of God living in you tomorrow morning in traffic? With that teacher, the one you don't like, or sorry, the ones you don't like. You fill in the blank. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you wrote your word so that we could receive encouragement so that you would teach us how to persevere and find hope in this 
man of living. Father, to know that you've called us to be holy as you are holy. God, we know we've missed the mark. Oh God, we've missed the mark. As we heard earlier this morning from your word, 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, God, we know that you're willing and able and you will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, we ask now that you would purify us, cleanse us, make us useful, Lord, for the work you've called us to do. Father, in your great name we pray. Amen and amen.